0: Greetings and salutations, fellow sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture ATC. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the limitations of Christian freedom, how you can be wrong even if you're theologically correct, and what our obligations are to our fellow Christians in the broadcasting social media age. What on earth does any of that mean? Stay tuned to find out. I'm Pastor Shane. I'll be your hermeneutical diving instructor today as we appropriate some culture. So we've been discussing a lot of gray areas, those areas, those issues that are not explicitly condemned or addressed in the Bible. And we've emphasized two key principles whenever we're dealing with gray areas. Number one, don't judge. Scripture tells us not to judge someone else's servant when it comes to disputable matters. And number two, don't violate your conscience. However, there is a third issue at play which is how do our decisions in regards to those gray areas of life affect our fellow brothers and sisters? This comes up in the Bible in a huge way when it comes to food sacrifice to idols. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrifice, Food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. So, vegetarians are not better people, even if they insufferably act like it. But more to the point, you have a certain set of Christians here who are eating meat sacrificed to idols, and are even doing so in the temples during religious festivals. And the justification for that is essentially. So what? Uh, These are not really gods. I'm not worshiping those false gods. I'm just eating dinner. And Paul says, you're right. Idols are nothing. Food sacrificed to idols is nothing, but there's more to consider here. He says... Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ." Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall." So he labels causing your brother to stumble as sin. And I think we understand that. For instance, you could say uh, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with alcohol. Our knowledge tells us that Jesus drank, the disciples drank, Jesus turned water to wine. Paul tells Timothy to medicate with wine. So there's nothing inherently sinful about imbibing. However, there would be something really messed up about pushing or flaunting your drinking with a believer who struggles with alcohol, right? Now, come on, man, just one drink. Jesus drank. Nothing sinful about one drink. That might be true theologically, but we're destroying our brother by our knowledge, which is wicked. That's why Paul starts off this section addressing the issue of knowledge. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Your so-called knowledge is leading you to harm your brother, so you don't know what you ought to know. Then in the following chapter, Paul points to himself as an example where even though he had rights and liberty, he outlines how he didn't exercise his liberty for the good of others. So even if we have liberty in some of these gray areas, we still have a moral obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But is there a limiting principle on that? You know, Paul said, if someone sees you dining in an idol's temple, that's not even flaunting, really. He doesn't say that they're beckoning them to join in. But it is public. Is that all it takes? So maybe I shouldn't decorate for Halloween because, you know, some Christians have a problem with Halloween, and they could drive by my place and see it, and if it's okay for Pastor Shane, it's okay for me. And the next thing you know, they're busting out a Ouija board and worshiping Satan. And social media really blurs the line of public and private. You know, certain Christians have a problem with alcohol. Does Paul's charge here mean that you should scrub your social media accounts of certain images? I mean, after all, if they see you drinking, they might imbibe. Or maybe you posted an image of you at a concert at a movie that's a little risque or a little off color. Does that encourage your brother to take in material that might corrupt We know that sin is not external, but is our knowledge destroying our brother. And this becomes really challenging when we talk about media. We can lock down our social accounts and scrub anything that might be construed as harmful to weak conscience Christians. But if we're trying to reach the culture, that requires broadcasting. Even the most anodyne of projects—things like The Chosen, which is literally a show about Jesus—can uh, be the source of consternation and potential stumbling for Christians. Here's Dallas Jenkins describing some of that.
1: So since this project was conceived, we've seen a litany of questions or criticisms raised, which is to be expected. Some of the most common issues brought up include that there are non-believers involved in the cast and crew, or what about adding the show—I'm Adding, I'm sorry, what about the show adding to Scripture? Doesn't Revelation say we're not supposed to do that? And even though I'm an evangelical and I'm in charge of the content, we've got some evangelicals upset that there's some Catholics involved. We've got some Catholics concerned that I'm not a Catholic. Some are concerned that there's some Mormons working on the project, including at the distribution company. And some of their Mormon friends are concerned that they're letting an evangelical control the show. And then, even within the evangelical community, there are the concerns about the wording of some of our materials, from the title of the show to various memes. And they'll be asking, are you a Calvinist, or are you a modalist, or a Trinitarian? (laughs) You can look up some of those terms later. I've been called a heretic for working with people of other faiths or traditions, or for sitting down to discuss the show with them on video, and I've been called a blasphemer from some members of those other faiths. So when you're concerned that I'm working with someone or talking to someone of a different denomination or faith tradition, believe me, they've got people who are asking them why they're working with me.
0: You can't privately release a television series. That sort of defeats the purpose. Anything out there for public consumption is available to the public. There is and must be a limit to our culpability. It says in Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. That's a limitation of culpability. Ezekiel is called to be obedient to God, to warn his fellow man. After that, It's on them. Uh, Parents have tremendous responsibility and culpability for their children, and yet parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. That's a limitation of culpability. The cross itself is called a stumbling block. And undoubtedly, the actions of Jesus made some people stumble and sin. Jesus aroused envy and hatred and bribery and murder among his fellow Jews. Jesus turned water into wine. And every single person at the party drank it responsibly. I mean, they did run out of wine. There's a limitation of culpability. But this gets really messy. In Galatians, uh, Paul says this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So Paul calls out Peter, and that could be in keeping with our topic, but on the other hand, couldn't you say that the reason that Peter withdrew was because of the weak conscience of his fellow Jews? Peter knows that God has declared all food clean. He saw that in Acts chapter 10. But some people are still so accustomed to unclean food that when they eat formerly unclean food, they think of it as having been forbidden by God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So Peter is really just being loving to his brothers. Peter could have used me as a lawyer. And you can easily make any weaselly argument about all this stuff. So what does it really come down to? Back to Corinthians. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others." Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And there it is. Uh, These are complicated issues. This one text in Corinthians is incredibly complicated. But what is clearly the intention behind it is to encourage us to love God and to love one another. Do everything for the glory of God and don't just seek your own good, seek the good of others. A Last point here, which is that Paul actually speaks out against the eating of meat sacrificed to idols on a theological level. He says this, Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So he agrees with these Christians that idols are nothing. They're correct about that. And he's not arguing to the contrary. But demons are real and pagan offerings in service to a lie goes to the father of lies. So eating food sacrificed to idols as a means of participation with pagan worship or festivals should not be done. Getting meat from a meat market is a little different. And that's important for us to see because these Christians felt like their participation in the culture wasn't wrong. It's just dinner. And these were civil as well as religious festivals. And idols are not really gods, so it's fine. But Paul lays out the case why it isn't. So work out your salvation. Analyze your theology. Evaluate how you are using your freedom. And be humble enough to see that maybe you're wrong. Uh, We might think that we're theologically sound, and we're not. So we need to hold all of this up before God to see whether our actions are glorifying to Him. Are we loving God, and are we loving others? Well, that'll do for now. Uh, Like, share, subscribe, follow me on the major and minor socials, and I'll see you next week for more Appropriate in the Culture.